Hello, and welcome to another edition of Ask the Professor, a crowd-driven, crowd-supported feature where we respond to your questions on everything from history to political philosophy to culture, all those things that matter to us in our common life. All right, here's one from Ian, and he says, What do Canadians need to know about the disasters socialism has caused around the world through history and its deceptive appeal even today? That's an excellent question to which the short answer is a whole lot more than they know at present. And as Ian did mention in his note, of course, this is a huge topic and we're just starting to scratch the surface of it here. But the first thing I think they need to know about socialism is that it has been brought into practice in one form or another in a great many places over a great many years and it has infallibly produced disaster. The kind of disaster that it has produced varies from the merely disturbing a decline in economic growth, an increase in poverty and in inequality, a point to which I'll return, to the genocidal horrors of a place like Mao's China or Stalin's Soviet Union. And it might seem unfair to lump all these things together, although socialists do call themselves socialists, that suggests there's something that unites them. And what unites them is a belief that people do not know what is best for themselves and that they do not flourish when they are permitted to make their own decisions about things. Socialism is a profoundly materialist philosophy that thinks that provided a person is well fed, they will be happy no matter how the food came to them. Which I think would be an impoverished view of human nature even if the food got delivered, which it generally doesn't. But the more horrifying aspects of socialism, including in Venezuela today, are connected to the fact that it is a philosophy that treats people as something less than human, that they are some sort of farm animal. They are to be fed, but they are not to be consulted. And if things go wrong, it is not because the farmer doesn't understand what's happening. It's not because the farmer is mistreating the animals. It's because the stupid animals don't appreciate what's being done for them. And thus the failure of socialism doesn't lead socialists to back off to create more freedom for the most part. Normally, it leads them to adopt ever more coercive measures. And you get the kind of situation that Friedrich Hayek warned about in The Road to Serfdom. It is not possible to preserve democracy in the sense of people actually making decisions about how they're governed at the same time that you implement socialist planning. Now, I said socialists generally don't back off, but there are cases where they do. And a classic one is that of Sir Roger Douglas. He was the socialist finance minister in New Zealand in the early 1990s, and he embarked upon a dramatic program of deregulation. And then he came to Canada to speak about it and was criticized. And Canadian union members said, how can you a socialist do this? And Douglas answered, it's because as a socialist, I am opposed to entrenched privilege. And he saw that a big state, large social programs, a high degree of regulation actually created a favored class within and around the state at the expense of everybody else. So wait, he saw in big unions as entrenched privilege? Yes. yes, exactly. And you look at this today, if you read a book like Bill Tuft's Pension Ponzi, and you realize the extraordinary degree to which the government is transferring income from the ordinary working person to government employees who receive benefits that are mind-bogglingly lavish and, in fact, unsustainable. And so that's why socialism, I said at the beginning, leads to an increase in inequality. 
Just how drastic it is depends upon just how ferociously the socialist program is implemented. You will not find a greater degree of social inequality than you did in Stalin's Soviet Union between the nomenklatura, the privileged people at the top of the party and state apparatus, and everybody else. So socialism is a catastrophic failure, and it only produces mild effects in some places because the socialists do not have the ruthless courage of their convictions to push ahead and start breaking heads when the thing doesn't really work. But that's not a recommendation of mild socialism. It's praise for the humanity of those socialists who, faced with a contradiction between their doctrine and humanity, choose humanity. So, again, one could write volumes upon any number of the failings of socialism, from the milder ones in places like Scandinavia, to the starvation that it's caused in Africa, to the deliberate genocide that went along with it in Maoist China or under the Bolsheviks. But given these bookshelves full, Robert Conquest at one point was asked to do a second edition of one of his books on Stalinism and suggested as the title of it, I told you so, you beeping fools. So, yeah, there are, there are libraries of this stuff. Why do people still find socialism appealing? And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One of them is this pervasive feeling that we shouldn't get too hung up on rules, that we should act compassionately, improvising, discarding traditional ways of doing things because a need confronts us. And socialism is very much like that. Socialism... This was Hayek's warning. It's really incompatible with the rule of law because the planners will always find themselves dealing with the unintended consequences of their actions and they must have freedom to change the rules, to upset people's expectations in order to cope with the current crisis. But in the end, this leaves people with no idea where they stand. And so instead of being compassionate, this constant improvisation requires that the government be given powers to act regardless of the feelings of those subjected to its actions. And everybody knows me, you can't fight City Hall. There isn't a person alive, not even a socialist, who doesn't have some strange tale of bureaucratic callousness and incompetence. But that's because it's necessary for the state to have discretionary action. So that's why we shouldn't fall for this idea about compassion. But the other one is that socialists tend to describe their project in very high-minded ways. To say that Capitalism, as they like to call it, free enterprise, conservatism, or various uglier names they'll attach to it, has too low an estimate of human beings. That this idea that we are self-interested, that the, this idea that we are fallible, that we are prone to put ourselves first, sells us short. And that oh. we really can rise above all that. Also that it leads to massive inequality. As, and you can't deny that. There's very rich people and very poor people. Now, yeah, would they, that they, be worse under socialism is a very open question, and I'm not sure that making sure everybody's equal by stealing from the rich is a good idea. But they do have a point there, that that's one of the critics, the criticisms of capitalism, that it's justified, that it leads to massive inequality. Yeah, and, and as a side note, I'll say, yeah, this thing about stealing. So socialism does, to some extent, consist of receiving stolen goods, which isn't very, very beneficial. But you're right. They do point to problems in the existing state of affairs and say, all of this is because we don't realize the heights to which mankind can soar if they are freed from these, not just the repressive institutions, but the limiting assumptions behind them. And so they create a situation in which, was it Trotsky once said that the average human being will rise to the height of a Beethoven, a Goethe, or a Marx, and beyond these new peaks will rise, I mean, to infinity and beyond, a classic radical theme. Mm. The problem is, though, that human beings are flawed. 
that human beings really do have these limitations. And so if you create a situation, if you create rules and institutions, including putting power in the hands of government that assume that humans are not flawed and we continue to be flawed, we are going to get drastically worse results. But it's so hard to resist this claim, oh, no, no, we're so much better. Rousseau said, you know, man is born free, but is everywhere in chains. Oh, well, for heaven's sakes, take the chains off. Let's see what happens. But there's an old warning from Montaigne that he has always found together, you know, super celestial ambitions and subterranean conduct. And the danger of socialism is that it comes wrapped in compassion and noble aspiration, very often sincere on the part of a lot of the socialists, but it asks too much of human beings and therefore delivers far too little. So we need to understand that the record has been, it runs on a spectrum from disappointing to disastrous, depending how thoroughly it's implemented, and that it is also continues to be pitched to us based upon elevated but mistaken and therefore unreliable beliefs about the nature of mankind. And so hoping to treat us better, to bring out the better angels of our nature, it treats us worse and brings out the devils in those people given power over their fellow man. That is the short answer. The long answer again, we'll have to that do a whole short? series, we'll have to write books, you have <laughs> to you know, go and empty the library shelves of books by people like Robert Conquest or you know, read Solzhenitsyn, A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. There's so much out there, Ian, and I know that was a very, very brief answer to a very complex, detailed, and worthwhile question, but at least it gets us started. Can I try a very briefer answer? Well, or, a, or a theory, that socialism appeals to people who think that they're not the privileged in order to, for them to share the benefits that the privileged people have, and most people don't realize just that they are actually in the privileged class. Yeah, that and is even a big those problem. who aren't need to understand that warning from Animal well, Farm. Well, that too, yes. You know? You know, all animals are created equal, but some are more e more equal yep. than others. And if you think you're getting the short end of the stick under a system where there's free enterprise and you have all kinds of choices, see what you get when there's only one boss. Again, Trotsky, in a lucid moment after he was driven into exile, realized that the uh, power to feed is the power to starve. And that is not a power anyone can be entrusted with. Certainly and, not with a monopoly. Yeah, and, if, and again, if you don't feel like you're winning the struggle when there are all kinds of choices and options out there, look at the people you're going to be up against if you should suddenly find yourself in the middle of the cultural revolution. If you think you would be on top in the middle of that, I don't want you in power. And if you realize you wouldn't, then don't support socialism. Compassion, yes. Choice, yes. Make sure that everybody understands they have a responsibility to their fellow humans, but then give them the freedom to exercise it. Don't try and coerce them into it because it won't work in terms of feeding the people and it will not work in terms of making anybody a better human being. Or happier. All right. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that great question, Ian. Uh, folks, if you would like to play along and ask your question of the professor, go to the URL on your screen and everything there will be explained. Thanks and see you next time.